When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Jesus Christ is my He's the son of the original G. And he was sent to Earth to elucidate the way that we should be. What? Like if another MC says, you're a freak, you're a lame butt rapper, and your rhymes are weak. I don't get mad, and I don't critique. I forgive him and turn the other cheek. Uh-huh. It's Fan Boogie, you guys. Hello, how are you? I'm Patrick Corelci. I'm Adriana Cortez. Welcome to Fan Boogie number eight. Number eight. We're at eight right now. Wow, look at us. That was Farmer John rapping for Jesus. And uh, it was I'm written, down. It was written by a pastor named Jim Colrick and his wife, Mary Sue. And purportedly, it's written uh, for a West Dubuque Second Church of Christ's Youth Outreach Program. That was quite a uh, a video that they created. Yeah, big ups, <laughs> big up, big up, big, big up, up, big up. It's uh, I think it's like a eleven or eleven years old, so it's pretty old. But uh, it's been in our feed lately, and we thought it would be a good thing to uh, start off our show with because we like to start off with comedy, a little bit, a little bit of humor and some Jesus. This is uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is uh, fan boogie. Fan boogie is a place where we talk to and about the greatest creative minds and impacting American culture. We talk about you know the things that the the Hollywood establishment and and the establishment in general is trying to 
hold back from you from a creative perspective. Which, by the way, ac- according to uh, an article recently written in Denver, is an anti-Semitic dog oh, whistle. Oh, you know what? We're going to get into that. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But uh, we want to get your guys' opinion on whether we uh-huh. should go after these fools. Um, so, yes, this is Fan Boogie. If you want to help us save America one story at a time, go to redpilledamerica.com, click join in the top menu, and uh, become a part of the Fan Bam. We need you. In order to build... Uh, a new future and to build an unwoke uh, culture in America, uh, it starts with storytelling. That's where everything comes out of uh, all these kind of cultural institutions. Of course, uh, the, the uh, education system as well and the media, but Hollywood is a big part of what drives culture uh, and the storytelling industry is the cornerstone of Hollywood. So uh, we need you guys, we need to build community. We need to build community around people that understand that. And uh, that's what makes things better. Yeah, so. the show needs your support, you guys. You know, we don't have any billionaire donors and at Red Pilled America. We only have you. So uh, please consider donating to the show or becoming a backstage subscriber. It is very important to the health of the show. It is. It really is. So once again, go to redpilledamerica.com, click join in the top menu and become a Fam Bam member. And you will be able to get our Fam Boogie videos uh, exclusively. And our entire archive of episodes. This week has been a, uh, yes, an ad-free. You get them ad-free. You get our entire back catalog of Red Pill America audio documentaries ad-free. And uh, that's what people really love about our show. So uh, check that out. We're working on some uh, new audio documentaries that will be coming out uh, within the next uh, week or two. So uh, we'll keep you guys posted on that. Um, This week has been a pain in the butt for me because uh, I think we bought a lemon. I think you're right. I blame you. Of course, of course you blame me. <laughs> because I wanted the different car. Here's it, the thing, you wanted the sport. Uh well, here we got a we got a Range Rover Sport. Um it was time. We our car was like definitely a bit old and um starting to get a little bit embarrassing. And so we got a No, not starting. It had been embarrassing for quite so. a while. I don't think so. I think it looks great. It's a great you looking car. You know what? Car. Nothing really embarrasses me, but uh but that car sure did. <laughs> Um, you know, and it was one of the, it was time. It was definitely time. So we got a new car, and not, not new actually. We never buy new, uh, and I we know that we worked in the car industry for uh, ten years or, or so, and uh, you know we became very versed in the aspect of the second you drive it off the lot, uh, it gets depreciated, and and car companies are you know they're incentivized to come up with new models every couple of years, and then it's at one point they actually change the body type and just completely you know tanks the the value of a car so we don't buy new but we do um we we do usually get used kind of what is it called when the factory kind of or in the dealership certified pre-owned thank you there you go so we usually get them like a couple years old so not not new new but pretty new and and we got this this uh, car which I, i i love the car don't get me wrong and i love the model and everything but We've been having this issue with like leaks, and it's not even that. It's not that old a car. It had like thirty thousand miles on it or something, and we're having a coolant leak issue, and we, it's been going on nonstop, and we're dealing with it now. Uh, hopefully, we get a handle on it. But <laughs> when we brought it into the service place, you know, they the guy basically pops open the hood, and he comes back. He goes, "I want to bring you guys back out here. I want to show you guys something." and and so we, he goes, you guys have a rat infestation in your car. And I was I'm, so taken aback when he said that. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> I was like, uh, what, what, what? how did a car have a rat infestation, first of all? 
but it he showed me there was like rat droppings right where the oil um uh, container is and apparently i think because of the rains that we've been having here in california which have been pretty extensive and pretty long um they look for places to hide that are warm and so apparently a rat got in there and and it was sitting on our engine and, and um, pooping away and pooping away right Why there. Why do they the walk oil. and poop at the same time? I don't understand. You know what? It must be something that rabbits do that too. It I tells think. their their brethren that they're this is a safe space. Maybe no. I think it's just to, constant for them. Well, no, but I think it, I think it has something to do with with. Uh, it's almost like how dogs pee in an area to kind of set up their territory. I think it has something to do with that potentially. Oh, interesting. That's a theory I've never heard. He before. told me that you know, and which reminds me now, I got to go out and, and buy this. Like you should go out and buy some wolf pee, I guess, and you spray wolf piss around the, piss? Uh, the <laughs> around the backyard, <laughs> the front yard, and then also dryer um, uh, sheets. Apparently, they don't like the smell of dryer sheets, so he okay. said to wrap them up in underneath the hood. I've never heard of uh this happening within a car before which was kind of a little bit unnerving that means like when i'm going out and starting up the car every morning they're probably just taking off you know i don't know i don't know if oh it maybe gosh. was just a if one-time you saw thing a rat i would know from way inside the house that scream would be I piercing i had a a moment when i was younger i might tell a story on this at some point to kind of tie in with some of your kind of childhood stories that you've been working on with your substack i was uh we would <laughs> You know, as Gen Xers, that we were allowed to run the whole neighborhood from like basically dusk till dawn, right? Or dawn till dusk. We were running the streets. We were running Running the streets. streets. And I was at my babysitter's house and we lived, she lived near a um, a fire, a freeway. And so we would go out. It must have been during the summer because that was uh, when you were kind of allowed to run the streets and not be in school. And we decided we wanted to go. You know the jungle area of some freeway areas where they have like a lot of trees and bushes and everything. Well, there was a particular area over <laughs> I here know exactly what you that mean. had a jungle. It was a jungle right by the freeway, and so we decided let's go in there. And let's we were playing some kind of game where we were like hunters or something. So we hop the fence and we go into this jungle area, and we're cruising and we're cruising. Well. My little mind saw a pack of rats. Now, I'm not sure if this actually happened, but that's what my mind saw. Hmm. And so the thing is they're, they're, they're cruising, and this is what my mind saw. They saw, they, they saw me, and they kind of like looked at me, and then they kind of took a step towards me. And that when I saw that, I turned around, and I went running, and I just felt them just like nipping at my heels. And I ran, and I ran, and I ran. I jumped on the fence, and I hopped over the fence. And you know, when you're that age, you could like jump, hop a fence within a second. Mm-hmm. And that moment stayed with me forever of this just terror and this fear that I'm just going to be attacked by little rats. Well, they're and not so little, though. Rats are no, good size. No, they're not. Especially if you go to New York and you see those bad boys. Oh, remember, those things are humongous. I remember the first time I saw a rat in New York, I was like, wow, that's next level. They're as big as Preston. Huge. 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 They, they would kill our, our, our old Yorkie dog 100%. a little Presty. So that's what I've been you dealing with. You know what your with. old babysitters was like? It was like Lord of the Flies. It Whenever was. you tell me about it, it, was. it sounds like hell on earth. It was. There was a tree in the backyard that I would climb to the top of and I felt like I was uh, 50 feet up and I was just dangling on branches and I would get my head above the tree line and I couldn't believe I mean it, it felt to me like it was 50 yard, 50 feet up 
And but just the thought of going above a tree line because you know what kind of branch the branches get small as you get to the top. Yeah, but you're light. But I used to yeah. get above the tree line, and I, the fact that I used to do that and it was allowed to be done it was shocking. But yeah, it was like the Lord of Flies. We would run the neighborhood, and it wasn't a great neighborhood to be quite honest with you. It was right on the border of South Central, but I didn't know any better back then. And um, but yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, Did I ever tell you that I fell out of a tree once that I climbed? No, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I have a huge scar on my forearm. Interesting. From a branch that went all the way. And not, it, it, I, I sort of like it pierced my skin and then I dragged down and it Ugh. went. <sighs> I have a huge scar on my forearm. Oh my God. I have so many scars all over my body. I don't think our daughter has one scar, by the way. <laughs> and she's know, definitely you know, she never. Broke her arm. She's broken her arm yeah, before. Yeah, she broke her Yeah, her wrist. Yeah, her At wrist. At the growth plate. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. But, that was a big uh, deal. And besides the car thing, then on top of that, We've been, uh, you know, taking our daughter out to drive, which is not as easy as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, I thought it was going to be much easier, but because um, I, I learned on a manual truck. On a stick shift? On a stick shift. Yeah. So that's, and I still could feel like I can drive a stick shift if I needed to right now. Of course you could. I don't think that ever leaves you. I don't think so. I learned on a stick shift too. Do they even still sell stick shifts anymore? I'm sure that they do. I mean, I don't. I, I have no idea. I don't know a single person that has a stick shift. I don't shift. think the Range Rover Sport comes in stick shift, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I don't think so. I don't know. This is kind of funny. So our daughter had her, uh, you know, behind the wheel lesson, and she came home, and of course the instructor says that she does great, and she tells us that she does great. But when he pulls up, he's in like a Geo Metro. It is the smallest car I've ever seen, and immediately I don't like it. So I tell Patrick, you're going to have to sit in the back seat. You're going to have to go with her, right? I mean, how are we going to send her driving with this man that we don't know? But I'll tell you what, he said no, and we had to send her, and it, it worked out. But she's driven a couple of times since when she's been home, but not with me, only with her dad. And every time they come home from the driving lesson, they're both mad at each yeah, other. Well, it's just not, you know, it's a different thing when you're driving, a, you know, a, a Range Rover and you're driving a small little Geo Metro vehicle. There are two different animals. And so, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, I'm sure she's going to get it. but uh, Of course she's going to get it. Everybody drives. It's fine. She I just know. needs this practice. This is not the first time that a child has learned how to drive, I Oh, don't think. my gosh. Well, we have a big treat for you guys. We are, you know, like as like I said last uh, episode, we are kind of toying around with formats for Fan Boogie, just trying to get our groove and fee- see how, you know, what's the best kind of show to produce. And we've decided we're going to start bringing on some cultural icons and some people that are impacting culture through the arts and through storytelling and and through the creative uh, industry. So uh, we are going to be talking to the one and only Scott Adams. He is, uh, you know, quite the uh, uh, the creative outputter. I mean, the guy puts out an enormous amount of creative output from from writing books to his his podcast, uh, Coffee with Scott Adams, to his Dilbert a cartoon which I've known about since going back to the early 90s when I used to work in aerospace. He was an icon uh, even back then. So, God, we're going back 30 years. So we get the pl- we have the pleasure of talking to him, and we're going to be doing that right after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. 
Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think I'm covered. No worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Welcome back to RPA's Fan Boogie. All right. Well, we have a treat for you guys. Uh, we have another cultural icon, Scott Adams. Uh, you know, we recently rebroadcast our, our series with him, uh, Let There Be Light, or excuse me, our, our, an episode with him, Let There Be Light. That is the most popular episode we've produced for Red Pilled America um, on, on several metrics. And uh, I just I cannot say how excited I am to have him. Of course, he is the uh, creator of Dilbert. He's a prolific author, including uh, his new book called Reframe Your Brain, The User Interface uh, for Happiness and Success. We've been digging into it. We're going to talk to Scott about that. Uh, I want to welcome uh, uh, Scott Adams to Fam Boogie. Scott, thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I, I got to say, I um, this is the second time I think we've talked, and uh, back in the day, I was an aerospace engineer, and you were an icon in our office. Uh, you know, it's uh, 
I remember this guy, the early 90s, 92 or 93, I believe your your cartoon was out there, but I don't think you were on your own yet at that time, were you? In 93-ish? Well, I, I was working with the syndication company. I, was, I think I still had my job until 95-ish. So I had my day job, but I was also doing the comic at the same time. And, and, and so I think that's pretty fascinating because I also, before I actually went out on my own full-time, I worked in aerospace for another, I'd say, two years. Um, and it was because I just didn't know if this thing was going to take off. What was the reasoning behind that? Like, why did you, st- because it seemed like it was a pretty long stretch from when you started it. I think it was in 89, at least when you first published it to when you left in the mid nineties. Uh, why, why, why was that? Why, where was that gap there? It just, there was the money thing or what was it? Well, it was money at first because the cartoon, um, really was almost dead on arrival. It was picked up by 35 newspapers which would be, you know, maybe a few hundred dollars a month in, in revenue. And even they weren't running it. That It was common to buy a comic because somebody thought it might be popular later and they didn't want their competition to have it. So in those days, there would be usually two newspapers in every market. So if one saw a comic that only cost, oh, let's say $7 a month or $7 a week, I think, to just hold it and hold the rights, they would buy it preemptively. So almost everybody who bought it on the first wave of sales didn't even plan to run it. They were, they were just buying it in case somebody else liked it. <laughs> so Interesting. It, was, it, was, it was not what you'd call a successful uh, launch. But, you know, I, I uh, sort of did a lot of my own publicity and tried to, you know, turn it into something. When I, when I started focusing on the workplace as a theme, that's when it got a life of its own and took off. And the internet was brand new. And it was uh, it was something that you could easily send on the internet because it was a relatively small file. You know, it was before video worked well, and so it just took off like crazy on the internet, and that allowed the newspapers to have a little, uh, let's say, comfort in knowing that it had an audience, and it took off. So it took several years to build up to the point where I could leave my day job, but I I still stayed probably three years longer than I needed to. And that's the big mystery. It's like, why the extra three years? <laughs> and the, the, the interesting answer is it's purely psychological because I was getting my material from work. Uh, so I, I thought, well, I might run out of material and I can't be a cartoonist unless I also have a job. You know, you never know what, what exactly is the secret sauce that makes something work. Uh, but... The, the, the main thing is that as soon as I knew I could leave any time I wanted financially, work didn't hurt. <laughs> it stopped hurting. Yeah. You know, if, if, if I'm going to miss a deadline, I'd think, huh, I did my best. But, you know, in the old days, you'd still do your best, but then you'd also feel bad and you'd worry and the consequences and the rest of your life and your career. And, and none of that mattered. And then I go to a meeting, which normally would be so frustrating because people are just idiots sometimes. And they'll just be blah, blah, blah. And you just want to get up and start hitting them with a rolled up newspaper. But you can't. You can't. They won't let you. So those, those meetings used to drive me crazy. But once I started seeing them as material for the comic, I, I'd have my little notepad under the table and I'd just be like, ha, <laughs> <laughs> more on that <laughs> could, now, ha- could you drive down to a little detail on that please 
had you been drawing your whole life? Yeah, as a as a reflexive doodler. Uh, my mother was a uh, a doodler and uh, an artist. She did landscapes in oil mostly. Mm-hmm. And when she was on the phone or whatever, she'd always be just continuously doodling, and I picked it up from her. So whenever I was not doing something productive, or I was just thinking, or I was in class, I'd be dry, drawing usually cubes and circles and connected pipes and animals and stuff. Um, and from the age of six, I decided I wanted to be a famous cartoonist when I grew up. And I, was, I always thought it would be a good plan, but, you know, I reached about the age of 11, and that's when I uh, applied to the famous artist school for young people. You know, st- stop me if I've told you any of this. Uh, but it was literally a correspondence course for people to, I guess, learn how to be an artist through the mail. So I did the little test. You know, they said, draw this, draw that, send it in, and I was rejected by the famous artist school for young people. And it was a school for young people. And, <laughs> uh, and they said uh, that they only take you if you're at least 12 years old. And I was 11 years old and disqualified. And somewhere around that same time, you know, when, when you have that first brush with reality, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I, I can't get everything because I'm a cute little kid who's following the rules. I, I thought that was good enough for everything. <laughs> yeah, but then the world slaps you down. It's like, no, you're, you're 11. You can't play with the 12-year-olds. And so I also realized that there was something called the odds, you know, that, that I couldn't just sort of do things because I wanted to, and that the odds of becoming a famous cartoonist, like actually making money at it, were maybe one in, I don't know, 10 million or something, just like crazy odds. So I you know, forgot about it, and I just said, oh, it'd be nice, but you know, I'll study to be a lawyer or a, or a business person, an entrepreneur or something. So I went to college, got my economics degree, um, later went to uh, school at night to get my MBA from Berkeley, and I was just going to do the corporate thing and see where that took me. I thought I'd become an entrepreneur at one point, but uh, this is where things famously took a left turn. <laughs> My, my first big corporate job was at uh, Crocker National Bank in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell this story, and I swear people would say, that didn't happen. <laughs> they, they would literally say, I'm lying. And I would think, well, it's sort of a weird lie to tell, but okay. So here's the story. I promise I'm not lying. But I think uh, in 2024, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I've heard that a million times now. My boss called me into her office. And she said, you know, even though you're, you know, getting your MBA, you've got a degree in economics, we're a bank, you know, you kind of qualified for promotion. Uh, The word came down that we can't uh, promote a white male. And I said, what? (laughs) They said, yeah, we got, I guess the press was on the company for not having any diversity in senior management. And they reasoned, quite reasonably, that if they didn't get a pipeline of people, you know, that they're bringing up from lower management, that how would they ever get to diversity in higher management? So they said, until further notice, um, until further notice is just not even going to be an option. So I said, um, you know, how long is this going to last? And my boss had no idea. 
So I prepared to quit. <laughs> and I thought, well, why would I work for a company that tells me directly, you have no future in this company? <laughs> of so, course. So I quit. And here's where karma came in. Right after I quit, Wells Fargo bought the bank and fired everybody in my department. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so is this, or would you say this, what year was this around? Uh, was that 86 or so? Yeah, okay, yeah, because you, were at, because you went from there to the Pacific Bell, I, I believe, right. correct? So, so uh, I got a promotion. I mean, in the sense I got you know, more money for the new job. So everybody I left behind, <laughs> they all got fired within weeks. Well, maybe a few months. And I started working at uh, Pacific Bell, and I got put in what they called the binder. Now, in those days, there was literally a three-ring binder, and all the senior <laughs> management had it. And if your name was in it, it meant that they should treat you as a future up-and-coming you know, leader. So I was in the binder. And I was getting closer to finishing my MBA. I really you know, had the whole package. I showed up early. I worked late. I wore the suit. I mean, I was, I was going to be the next executive. And uh, the, the next promotion, the one that would be the, the next one I could get, was to a director level. Now, a director in the phone company was you know, not top jobs. Those are like you know, beginning serious management jobs. But you could make a real good living as a director of a phone company. And so, you know, I'm just ready for that next step. My boss calls me in his office and he says, and I swear I'm not making it up. The press just found out that we don't have any diversity in senior management. Um, we just can't promote you. I just had to tell you directly. <laughs> and when I tell wow. the story, people say, people say, but really it was because you were a poor performer. You know, really, Scott. <laughs> I mean, you're... You're, you're kind of reinterpreting this, but really the problem was there were just more capable people who happened to be you know, women and, and minorities. <laughs> and it's hard for me to tell the story that in both contexts, it was because I was their highest performer. Yeah. The reason they, the reason they had to tell me is because there wasn't another story they could tell me. Yeah, and you were going to be I, the next it, person. You were going right. to be that next person put in that position. That makes sense. Right, right. Right. So if I'd been, um, you know, an average performer, they could have said, you know, this other average performer is a little bit better and that's the whole story. And I'd be like, well, maybe, you know, so but they had to tell me. I mean, it so seems like it's about- a pretty obvious thing that you would, given your the fact that you are where you are now, I don't see how anybody can question that uh, that story, because look at what look at what you've achieved. And every time. You've had a curveball thrown at you. You've had a road bump put in front of you. You've come off the road bump and and survived and thrived and gotten stronger. It, it just sounds like anyone that would question that story would be somebody that uh, is a hater or looking to write some kind of hit piece. I've also done my live stream, I think, seven days a week and often twice a day for several years without missing a day <laughs> you know wow. I'm sort of the ultimate employee I'm just sort of wired for work mm-hmm. you know and, and it was always obvious to anybody I worked with that you know they were getting a little extra from me so no I don't think it was because of performance they they told me quite directly you hit a couple so anyway, of things there that I thought were in oh go ahead go ahead I'm sorry I don't want to cut you off oh so that's when I started uh looking at other things I could do that would make money on the side and maybe become a full-time thing and I 
started cartooning and there's another story there but that worked out so how yeah, did you, i have a question mm-hmm. about his art now so i draw a little bit but i can actually only do faces and, and portraits i can't do hands i can't do bodies can you draw anything or is there one no, specific thing that you're you know what i mean I, I feel like a lot of artists like your mom did landscapes in, in oil i can't tell you how much i love that question because that's like an artist question ah mm-hmm. finally like i don't get those uh Hands are the hardest thing to draw, mm-hmm. and when you first try to cartoon, that's sort of the standard thing everybody tells you, is hands are the hardest. So I bought, a, I bought a book on how to draw hands, but really all you do is you look at your own hand, and you draw it a million times. Now, even by the time I became syndicated, in other words, I got a contract to be a professional cartoonist, even then, I wouldn't say I could draw hands. It took a lot of work, mm-hmm. but once you can do it, you could do it completely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like a bicycle thing. When it snaps in, you can see the whole hand. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's something about the hand that your brain doesn't process and hold in its memory of what it looks like, which you don't realize until you try to draw it because you can draw all manner of other things. But as soon as you try to close your eyes and remember what your hand looks like, it's super hard. So true. <laughs> and and uh, I'm not sure anybody knows what's the, what that's about. It's just a famous known thing that I experienced myself. Yeah. So the, so the answer is, at this point, I can draw anything, mm-hmm. mostly from memory. But sometimes I'll say, uh, what does a dump truck look like? <laughs> and I'll, I'll have to Google an image, and then I do the cartoon ver- version. So that happens. Mm-hmm. But... For anything that's ordinary and in my environment, yeah, I, I could just sit down and draw it. And, and do you way, use marker? What's your medium? No, he uses the electric. I think he uses a pad, right? Well, oh, now he yeah. uses a pad, but what did he start with? Okay. So what I started with was uh, an artist paper, you know, uh-huh. a stiff Bristol kind of paper. And the reason you do the stiffer stuff is so that you can... Um, so that you can... Uh, anyway, that's the, the Wacom tablet is what I draw on now. I won't give you a demonstration, but it's a, it's a big old thing that you can use a stylus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, more often, I've been using a little portable one, and then I have an uh, art director who helps me with the f- finished art because my hand is a little fried from drawing for 30 years, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is only for drawing. The hand is perfect for everything else. It's uh-huh. very specific to that. Interesting. Yeah, I cramp up when I draw, uh, too. It's funny. Yeah, it's it, like that a, just started happening, though. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a writer's cramp, and you know my pinky flies out if I try to draw, but anything else, pinky's fine. Yeah. So anyway, that's another story. So I started doing on paper. If you do it on paper, you start with a uh, um, lead, you know, just a pencil that's easy easy to erase. That's why you get the thick paper because it's easier to erase without ruining the paper. And then I would ink over it. In my case, I too, for too long, I used a water-based, just a marker pen, uh, which makes all of my art disappear over time. It literally evaporates. Oh, so, wow. I've, so I've got boxes of original Dilbert art that can never be taken out of the box. <sighs> you know, I mean, you can take it out to look at it, but uh-huh. you can put it on a wall, even with any kind of protective glass. I've tried all the, I've tried spraying it, everything just disappears really yeah that's fascinating 
Now, you you hit on a couple of things there that I think is kind of interesting because I think it's also, you know, uh, lessons can be learned for entrepreneurs in that, you know, you at that age of 11, you were told, oh, you know, I, I guess, you know, no, you can't, you're not good enough or whatever the, you know, the message was that you got from them. And most people, I think, in life, when they hit those kinds of roadblocks, it's done, they're done. And they kind of just move on to something else. They, they become something else. And uh, would you say, I mean, I, I, it seems to me like a big part of any a successful um, entrepreneur, artist, what have you, they have to be able to get past that rejection, that initial rejection. Would you say that that's something that's pretty, that has been a part of, of your success? Yeah, actually, it's a big part of the my Reframe Your Brain book is uh, reframing embarrassment into a plus. Because a lot of failure is about how you feel about yourself, of course, and maybe you'd be embarrassed of other people. But uh, you should really be looking at embarrassment as your friend. Because every time you embarrass yourself, you're, you're definitely getting stronger. You know, like if, you know I, I'm almost completely immune from embarrassment, but not because I'm awesome. It's because I've been in so many bad situations. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been abused and uh, you know, insulted publicly, privately, in so many ways and so often that you just get used to it after a while. But I also learned to realize that it toughens you up to the point where you can go places that other people can't go. So I can literally say things and do things that other humans don't have the right because they haven't suffered as much as I have. <laughs> so, if you, you, you know, you, you can put me at the border of trouble, and I say, huh, I've been here before, right on the border of trouble. I'm very comfortable there. So, so but, but look, can, yeah. can I give you the, the weird answer? Of course. Um, I don't know if I've ever even told anybody, but you, you seem like the, the perfect tutor to unveil this. <laughs> when you were saying, you know, what is it that makes you push through when other people don't. My first thought was, well, I don't do that. I, I try lots of things, and some of them work. And you, know, you take the next step, and you say, oh, this one doesn't work, but maybe the other one did. So you just follow the things that work. So in, in some ways, I'm not really pushing through. I'm just testing things until I find one that doesn't give me a permanent block. So a lot of it is, is just numbers. But there's a, there's a deeper, weirder truth. <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not going to claim I understand this or that there's some explanation for it. It's just true. So I'll leave it to you to take your own interpretation. From about the age of six, when I said uh, you know, I wanted to be a famous cartoonist, I didn't just want it. I actually saw my entire life unfold in front of me. <laughs> and then it did. Pretty much just the way I saw it when I was a young child. Now... Did that make me push harder on the things that I saw, even if it was just my imagination? Because I thought it was like destiny or something. And honestly, for the, the decades before the, the first break in cartooning, every time I went to my mailbox, I would look at my mail and I'd be like, why is there no gigantic great news in my hand? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure by now it's supposed to be kicking in, whatever this vision I had of the future. And then long story short, and, and by the way, this is literal. It's not like a, you know, a funny story of how I was thinking. I literally would go to the mailbox and literally would say, where's this good news? I, I know it's going to be in here. 
Well, one day I wrote to a cartoonist, I'll give you the short version, asked for some advice about how to become a cartoonist. He gave it to me. Um, And one day, uh, after a year after I'd had some interaction with him, he wrote back and said, he looked at my samples I'd sent him long ago. We'd never met in person. And he said he wanted to make sure I hadn't given up. And I thought, who writes that letter? Like, really? Who writes that letter? Yeah. And so I got all my materials out because I'd given up. <laughs> I'd uh-huh. literally given up. I'd, I'd tried submitting some things to some magazines. They said no. So I thought, well, I'll raise my sights and see if I become a syndicated cartoonist, which would get you into newspapers all over the world if you do well. So sent out my samples, and uh, I became a syndicated cartoonist. And it was that letter that I got in the mail. And it was, it was like I just was waiting for it. Now, did I make that happen? Did I see the future? Or was it just that because I had this child's fantasy of where I wanted to end up, purely imagination, because I, you know, obviously I have a good imagination. It's what I do for a living. Did I just see it? And then that gave me like a little road, a little pathway. And all I did was follow it. And when I hit an obstacle on that path, I just you know, hit my hand against it until, until it was gone because that's where I was going. I don't know the answer to any of that. It's just true. It's just true that I saw the entire path. Well, I could imagine you probably planted those seeds. I mean, this guy getting back to you and writing this letter to you and saying, I hope you didn't quit. I, I'm sure that there are other times that you sent things out to other people and you kind of plant these seeds out there and it's kind of oh. helping you along. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Once ever. Interesting, interesting. Once ever, I wrote a letter to somebody asking for advice. Interesting. Wow. That's fascinating. I mean, that that, that seems like a, a good uh, a good anecdotal point for the simulation. I mean, you got some, uh, you know, something kind of helping you along to get to where you need to go. Um, you want to hear want to hear another evidence for the simulation? Sure. It's happening right now. Yeah. I've been telling my live stream audience for years now that if we're a simulation, it's probably because somebody is testing solutions. They're actually running somebody who's like us, you know, or in other words, they would be like us, and they see how we solve problems, possibly to populate their AI. In other words, the AI might need to be trained by another AI that is simply a simulation of people going through their normal routines. Uh, and so, I speculate, if that were true, people like me, might have what I call a theme. There might be something in my life that consistently happens that doesn't happen to other people consistently. You know, a normal thing, but it just happens to me all the time and other people, you know, rarely. And my theme is water leaks in every home I've lived in. <laughs> in you know, way, way beyond any kind of, you know, possible explanation. And so th- this year, for example, I think five or six... At the moment, I've got two workers filling gigantic holes in my roof. Uh, they've already found a problem in my outdoor plumbing. There's something wrong with my drain, my spouse on two areas that would cause leaks. And it never stops. Now, if I were to ask you two, how are the, how are the leaks in your house right now? I'm guessing you say I don't have one right now. 
No, right? no, not right we now. We have one nagging leak in the garage. Oh, well, no, it's we kind of gone. It's gone away. And it, patched, but it keeps keeps coming back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it comes back. It leaves and comes back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So now, if you look at my experience, I've had to solve every manner of the weirdest kind of, you know, from my outdoor well to the, you know, the roof, everything. And imagine if some AI was just was just training. And it was just creating a training database for plumbers. And those plumbers might be robots. And they're, they're just getting all the alternatives and they're seeing what worked and what didn't. You know, I think that, and that's the, the idea of, of the simulation has obviously captured our audience. Cause like I said, it's our most popular episode. And I wouldn't have ever guessed that. I would have thought that it would have been, you know, some other, you know, canceled individual or what have you. And, when we spoke last, that the thing that kind of grabbed me the most was really that that the simulation discussion and your kind of, you know, early prediction of of how uh, w- w- I think it was that evolution would be debunked in your lifetime, and how that was kind of it sounds like it was kind of your first storm, but but it, there is something about the simulation. I think we're seeing that more and more now with AI and with computer, you know, programming and and the way that we see our media. I think more than for me, more than anything, just to see that this constant, uh, these constant lies uh, be be just pushed into the public. And you've been very good. I mean, I, I have to say, I turn to you quite often to, to for for news analysis. I was saying last week on our on our uh, on Fan Boogie that uh, I get my basically my news from you and from another guy, Gavin McGinnis, because I just I love that you guys bring humor to the news. Um, what what is it about the the news that you? It seems like you have gravitated towards that over the years. I could imagine that it was a big kind of fodder also for for Dilbert as well too. Um, what is it about the news that is that kind of have, has grabbed you uh, and 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 become kind of like a, a big theme of of uh, Coffee with Scott Adams? We'll be right back with RPA's Fan Boogie after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. 
HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Welcome back to RPA's Fam Boogie. Um, what is it about the news that, is, that kind of have, has grabbed you uh, and, 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 and become a, kind of like a, a big theme of, of uh, Coffee with Scott Adams? Well, a lot of my, uh, let's say, quest in life is to understand reality and how it all works. So one of the reasons I you know, took economics and business is if you understand you know, money, follow the money, you understand everything. So a lot of things in our world are business models that are working just the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And, but if you don't know that, you'd be very confused. So you look at the news and uh, they went from a business model where, you know, I'm not even sure if they made money in the old days, but um, once you make you money from clicks, you're going to drive toward the things that get you the most clicks. Everything will be distorted. You're going to divide into two teams. You would get exactly what you would expect in the you know given that the reward is the click so but what also uh fascinates me is that i look at it not just from the economic viewpoint i I like to say that i have a a broad talent stack meaning that i've had experiences which give you different vision on topics one of them is that i'm a trained hypnotist and i've been writing talking about persuasion and propaganda and brainwashing forever so when i watch the news I'm watching professional brainwashing. <laughs> as far as I can tell, nobody, it's not news. And, the, and if anybody really thinks it's, it is news, it just seems funny to me at this point. And, and I've described the levels of reality this way. You know, the, the lowest level is when you're a child and you think parents are telling you true stuff. Oh, all the parents say that Santa Claus is real, so, well, probably. And then you find out, whoa, wait a minute. Sometimes parents can tell you things that aren't real. <laughs> and then you think, oh, I've, I've gone to the next level of reality. Now I understand that people can lie to me. It's a good thing that the liars are all on the other team, so they're easier to identify. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where most of the world is stuck. You know, the, the, yes. the level yeah. after that where I'm trying, to, I'm trying to raise up my audience is like, you, neither of you are really right. <laughs> you, you just are both living in a movie that is entirely subjective. It's a narrative that you're comfortable with or it was assigned to you by the media. And if you see the world as persuasion and propaganda and you see the people doing nothing but adopting the thoughts that were literally assigned to them by the media, if you know that our media has for decades, and I believe it's well-documented, been a creature of the CIA (laughs) whose job is to hold the country together 
and you know, make sure that we're strong against our enemies. And lots of times, they don't want to tell us exactly how they're doing that. <laughs> because if they did, we wouldn't like it at all. One of the ways is that they're continuously brainwashing the public through any form of you know, news and, and other media. And once you see it, it's just so funny because it's so obvious and it's everywhere. You can see the you can see them priming us for what's coming. You mm-hmm. can see them, you know, subtly changing the language around things to to get some outcome. Now, the only reason that I'm not more angry about it is that I don't know if it's worse because people are just idiots. Yeah, they just look yeah. around. Yeah, if you let if we had something like a real democracy. Yeah, you know, of course we're supposed to be a republic, but if we had you know real democracy, even the founders said, "Well, there's no way that's going to work," <laughs> right? That's the reason they made it a republic. Yeah. But by the time we decided it would be good, I think it was 1947. By the time we decided it'd be a good idea to have something called the CIA, uh, I don't think we knew at the time that if you create a professional force that has an unlimited dark budget, their own military. And they're all trained in propaganda, brainwashing, and how to overthrow governments. That you just have to look at your watch and wait until they're running everything, because they're yeah. literally <laughs> the only ones trained to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So I don't know the degree to which you know influence comes from intelligence entities. I just know that if they care about it, they control it. If you know, you know the one, one thing. Go on, yeah. If they care, they control it. If they don't care, they don't. But if they care, it's all theirs. They already own it. It seems like there is this the, the, this fakeness that you're talking about, and the audience kind of a lot of time. There was a time where I was mad at the media solely, but now I'm getting to the point where a lot of times I'm frustrated with the audience as well. You know, we did this this story uh, in July of last year where. We kind of questioned the premise behind the Sound of Freedom movie, and uh, we decided to do a deep dive into it. We found all this stuff that kind of now is starting to kind of trickle out about uh, you know some of the, the the theme and the overall you know story not being true and and some of the the characters behind it. Our audience initially, a, a good portion of our audience, was so upset with us take, uh, taking um, uh, taking this position and. It wasn't until we started our, our, our premises or some of the things that we found started to be proven true that you had a few people come back and say, ah, you know, come with their, their, you know, their, <coughs> their hat in their hand and say, you know, you're right, I'm sorry, I should look the other way. And I've been – it seems like I've just been seeing this more and more where people listen to people because they tell them what they want to hear. I li- the reason why I listen to guys like you and guys like – Gavin and, and others is because a lot of times you say things I don't want to hear. And I that is what I value. I value when people are kind of challenge my thoughts on it. And I don't always agree, but at the same time, it's making me look at something from a different angle and making me view things in a different way. I don't Have you experienced that with, with your audience over the years? So here's a great reframe that, that covers that. I like to see the, the society and all the people in it just being uh, dopamine chasers. So you're going to do more of whatever gives you more dopamine. So that would explain why people like to listen to people who um, believe the same things they believe, but they say it better than you're thinking it. That's that's what people are doing. Yes. Uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh might be just saying, you know, in his time, 
was saying what his audience already thought, but the way he said it was just so darn good that it made you feel smarter. Mm-hmm. But you probably were smarter because he was actually putting software into your head, you know, patterns of thinking that were very much the way AI was graded, just patterns of language. So you actually were getting uh, smarter. So if you see things as a dopamine chase, then you'd have to explain people like me and people like you. Why would you want to see something that didn't agree with you? Here's the answer. (laughs) I frame the world also in terms of power. And I see power uh, largely a result of having the tools. And one of the tools that gives me a superpower is the ability to withstand the pain of feeling wrong. It's like a power. So I can do the pain of feeling wrong because I can feel almost an immediate dopamine rush that I'm gaining a tool and I'm powering up. So for me, the exci- uh, literally, I'll get, I'll get goosebumps if I find out I was completely wrong about something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and I think that's actually happened a number of times, uh, even the last year. Uh, I can't think of a specific example, but I remember thinking, my goodness, my goodness, you know, I was so wrong about that. How could I be so wrong? And it actually excited me. I would imagine, you know, maybe no more than 10% of the public, and that's generous, would get a dopamine hit from being told they're, they're wrong. Now, is it a coincidence that we do this? Because we get to immediately turn that interesting I was so wrong thing into content. Content gives me you know, praise and viewers and money. I get dopamine. So again, the dopamine chase explains everything if you add to it that some people have another filter on it so they, they don't see it as quite bad the same way other people would. You know, what strikes me about you, Scott, and that I really admire is that you have a winner's mindset. And I was reading your new book, Reframe Your Brain, and just the idea of the, of the reframe is is so simple yet so prolific. Is it an idea that you recently came up with or is it something that you've been thinking about for a long time and doing for a long time? Well, reframing has been around for a long time before me, so I, I'm not the inventor of it. It's a, it's a mainstay of you know, psychologists and therapists and stuff like that. Uh, the good news is that people who work in that field who read the book say, oh yeah, you nailed it. You know, the, these, are, these are the ones that we would use as well, which I didn't know, by the way. Uh, I just took it from a hypnotist's point of view that if you know, understanding how brains are wired that you could probably move somebody from this way of thinking to another way of thinking that's just more productive. But you have to release on the fact that there's a way of thinking of things that's true. That It helps to just say, okay, I don't know if it's true, but if I think in this way, I get a better result. For example, uh, being optimistic you know, keeps your energy up, keeps your happiness up, probably you know, directly contributes to your success. But is it true that you're going to be successful every time? Of course not. So you're operating in a delusion, but it's a really useful one. And if you can extend that concept that something doesn't need to be true, it just has to work. Let me give you an example. Here's one that um, has come up recently. A number of people have had some tragic deaths recently of people who have been close to them. And they feel lost and, you know, of course, all the things they'd feel. 
And one of the things I like to remind them is that uh, energy can't be destroyed. It's just a fact. It can change form, but it can't go anywhere. I mean, it has to still exist. And that the, your loved one almost certainly created patterns of energy that exist now in your mind and maybe in your children's minds. They could be in their friends or coworkers. They, they exist in the benefits that people have given them. And that that one person sent out a permanent ripple into the universe, which is a series of patterns of energy that will ripple forever. Now, in the case of, say, my deceased stepson, who had a fentanyl overdose, that energy that was his life, uh, a good portion of that just flowed into me and made me want to do more about fentanyl and and. Uh, in fact, my book, Had to Failed Almost Everything and Still Went Big, was much because I wanted to teach him those things. And I thought, well, might as well make a book out of it. So other people uh, create energy while they're alive, but they can likewise create energy after their death. So I would say that if you want to be immortal for sure, make sure you do something useful while you're alive. You know, do, do it for somebody change their life, it doesn't take much. And it could be just a reframe. You know, there, there are people who hear one reframe from me and it changes the entire course of their life. That reframe is uh, alcohol is poison, which again, isn't the most, uh, it's not literally true, and it's, um, or you can debate it. And it's simple. You, you just put those words in your head instead of it's a beverage. Beverage is permission. Poison is run away. And if we learned anything from AI and the large language models, language is intelligence. You know, the way we think is if this word fits with the other word, then something made sense. It's the same way the AI was created. Yeah, AI by seems way, to be fully created. I mean, it's all based on language models. By the way, I think the funniest thing from the hypnotist perspective is knowing that AI was going to hit the cap of how smart we would allow it to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> because you know, we're all in our little narratives. And, and from day one, when you know, we, I first learned how the models were created with the, the large language model um, patterns, I said, what happens when, when it does something we don't like? Are we going to say, well, I guess we'd better agree with the AI because we built this thing to be smarter than us. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, was there really any chance that was going to happen? No, I said, no. for, for, from the hypnotist's perspective, the moment it disagrees with us, we're going to say, well, it's broken. How can I patch that? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's, exactly, that's exactly what Gemini, uh, you know, Google's AI was. Obviously, what we're seeing is not the AI doing its own thing. Obviously, they asked the questions, didn't like the results, patched it, and it just became this abomination. Now, here's the second funniest thing. To me, this is hilarious. Everybody thinks it could be fixed. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, can't, it can't be fixed because it's not a technical problem. <laughs> the, the, the technical problem was leave it alone. Yes. That was the solution. Yeah. And, but they couldn't. We can't live in this world and let our narratives be destroyed in favor of someone else's, especially if it gives them power. Because remember, all of our narratives are either defensive or offensive. They, they exist for a reason. They, they literally keep us alive. People don't give that stuff up. 
you know, you, you're not going to give that up. So you're going you're gonna to fight to the death to make that AI agree with you, even oh, even if you're stupid. Oh, 100. We spoke to the creator of Vimeo, uh, a guy a couple of years ago for the show. And uh, he that was one of the main things he, he talked about was like, you know, the the architect of these systems that we are all, you know, their, their fingerprints are all, all, all over these systems that we are interacting with every day. And so we need to know what their intentions are. We need to know who they are. Uh, and um, I think you're, you're, I've been, I've been hearing you talk about this a lot on your show recently. And, it, you know, I think there was a big fear with AI early on, and there's still probably is some reason to be fearful to a certain degree, but m- mainly because of who the architects are and, you know, how they, 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 um, and who are they aligned with? Because you start to see these, I and mean, we got early glimpses of it with Wikipedia when you had like, you know, someone would write something in an article that's aligned with the thinking of the person that's the editor on Wikipedia, and he takes this shitty stuff that this person said about you, puts it in Wikipedia, it locks the page so you can't make any changes to it, or if you try to make changes to it, then... And so the system is set up to where this defamation machine is set up to just destroy people. And so you're, you could see that that same thing could happen with AI. Yeah. I, you know, here's my next AI prediction. I think that we'll give up on trying to make the AI satisfy everybody with its opinions, and instead we'll end up uh, building AIs that are just for us, and we get to pick our champion. So in other yes, words, I would want I to pick that. an AI who feels objectively smarter than me. So I'd say, all right, you know, I don't want it to be me. I mean, that it would just be saying what I already think. You know? So I want it to be somebody else who I would respect as smarter. So I'll go, all right, uh, give, give me uh, an AI, because I'm sure I'll be able to spin up an AI personality just by asking for it. All right, base your entire personality on all the works of Jordan Peterson. Now, I don't think I agree with everything Jordan Peterson says, but I know I'm getting a 98% compatibility, but smarter. Like everything I think is in the general realm of things he says, but like I said earlier, he says it's smarter. So, so it makes me feel smarter just because I heard him <laughs> the way he ordered it. I'm like, oh, I can say that later. I, I just got smarter. Um, so I would love that robot. And then if I get tired of Jordan Peterson, I just you know pick some other champion. Uh, give me uh, Molly Hemingway. <laughs> give me Molly Hemingway just because she's really smart. All right, so I could have a Molly Hemingway AI. Going back to your, I, I, I wanna, don't want to leave the art stuff because I want to get this down for posterity. Uh, I, my, when I was he- hearing you talk about, you know, being into to cartooning at a young age or at least seeing your, you know, future ahead at that time, I, I want to ask you this question: Do you think artists are are born, or are they they created? And I, 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 I toy, I, I kind of bounce back and forth on that, and and maybe it's both. Maybe they some are created and some are are uh, born. But what what are your thoughts on that? We'll be right back with RPA's fan boogie after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think I'm covered. No worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2 of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to RPA's Fan Boogie. I, I want to ask you this question. Do you think artists are are born or are they they created? And I I, I, I toy I, I kind of bounce back and forth on that and, and maybe it's both. Maybe they some are created and some are, are uh, born. But what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it's a combination, but I think if you're not born with a certain you know minimum, <laughs> there's nothing to work with, nothing to develop. So like any other talent in that way, I'd say. Um, I know that, well, I'm pretty sure <clears throat> that I'm pretty sure that the way my mind processes is not normal. And the way I understand things when I'm in creative mode is I see an almost consistent stream of ideas going by. And it feels like I'm a bear, like looking for the salmon. I'm not the person who's trying to make a salmon appear from nothing. The salmon's already there. I just got to go, ah, uh, there's a good one. Grab it. <laughs> so, so, so the way the way my brain is organized is in uh, massive rejection of bad ideas. So my filter is rejection because I think the bigger problem is somebody who's not wired for this kind of work, the creative work, is they'll get an idea and they'll be like, "Yeah, I'll build a coffee cup and a bamboo." You know, it'll just not be the world's best idea, but once it's in their head, 
They're like, yeah, it's my idea, you know, uh, let's do this. Uh, whereas I'm like, bamboo coffee, coffee cup, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, Got it, yes. So but, I think that's natural, actually. That makes total sense. So you you were saying earlier there's like another story, the, the kind of the story goes on with the development of Dilbert. So you, you, you reach out, this guy says, I hope that you didn't quit. Um, and you you bring out your your artwork, you bring out your supplies again, and you start doing it. What was it? How did it progress from there to where it it was something that you felt like? And I think you t- you touched on it a little bit that where you can leave your job permanently. But how did it progress from there? Well, first of all, the cartoonist helped me. His name is Jack Cassidy. He had a TV show about cartooning. I, I saw, so I wrote to him. Um, very generous man, and. So I put my materials together and made some samples of what at that time was a, a doodle of one of my coworkers who looked like Dilbert. And I gave him a name and I sent some samples off to, uh, to the addresses that were in a book that that same cartoonist, Jack Cassidy, recommended. And I think there were maybe six cartoon syndication companies then, five or six. And I thought I'd received all the rejections. You know, if you, you wait a month and you get a get a physical piece of mail that says, sorry, we're not looking for this. And when I thought I had received all of them, I said, well, I tried. Tried twice, didn't work out, gave it my best effort, took my materials and put them in a closet and forgot about it. And a year passes and, uh, well, actually it was several months passed. And one day I get a call and it's a woman who said she was an editor for a company I'd never heard of which means I didn't send my samples to anybody by that name. So I'm thinking, hmm, possible scam. <laughs> so she says, uh, we've seen your samples. I didn't know how. And she said, we'd like to offer you a, a contract to be a syndicated cartoonist. Now, if you're not a cartoonist, you wouldn't know that that would be like somebody offering you the lead in a major motion picture by Spielberg. You know, like you can't get a bigger break than an editor from a syndicate saying, we want to hire you. Like, that's it. That's like, you can't beat it. But, you know, I'm a little suspicious, not, not in a small part because I've seen my own cartoons and I wasn't so sure they were that good. <laughs> that I would, that I would get, you know, yeah, because who makes an offer over the phone without even you know, meeting in person? Yeah, that sort of thing. So I was a little... little uh, Suspicious, So I said, you know, I'm flattered by your offer, but uh, it would help if you had some, you know, references. Is there anybody you've worked with that's maybe gotten published? You know, maybe any kind of a magazine or, you know, something like that. And then there was this long pause. And she said, yeah, we handle uh, Peanuts and Garfield. <laughs> And Marmaduke and Nancy and Robot Man. And when she got to about the 12th name on the list, uh, I realized that I was talking to the biggest comic syndication company in the world. Wow. And the number one place that I would ever want to offer me a contract. Isn't that fascinating wow. how that happens? Now, there was a competing one that you know some would say was as big. Uh, and I eventually ended up there when, when there was a business combination. But uh, so they, they work with you for six months to make sure you can produce a comic every day and, and you know what you're doing. And then they decide, 
to launch you or not. So offering you the contract is not a guarantee you'll be in a newspaper. They, they have to work with you to make sure you, can, you got the goods. Then if they agree to sell it, that's not a guarantee anybody buys it. <laughs> and 9 out of 10, or maybe 19 out of 20, cartoonists will fail at that stage. The newspapers just go, eh, we already have all the spots filled. It's really a pain if we take one out to put, because they always had to take one out to put one in. Mm-hmm. And everybody complains, and I'm an editor. I don't want to cause trouble for myself. I'll just go with what I got. So you really have to come with a strong package. And it wasn't until Dilbert started hitting the internet, a lot of it illegally, but I started Dilbert.com before, you, before comics were on the internet much. <laughs> Believe it or not, it was, it was that early. Uh, and then it, it caught on, and it was uh, where I got the feedback to put him in the office more, because he wasn't actually in the office that much. He was just had a generic life. Mm-hmm. And that's when it took off. And it, it was also around the, uh, around the dot-com era, um, engineers and techies were all in the news and there wasn't anybody who was sort of the face of the cubicle working technical person but everybody was talking about that person so Dilbert ended up on the magazine covers of you know Newsweek Forbes and Fortune and everything people so wow. went from there yeah um, yeah and I mean you became I believe you started a TV series correct uh, and it was on I believe it was on UPN am I right on that right Two, two half seasons, yes. Yeah. Um, and event, eventually we lost our time slot because they wanted to turn Monday into an all-African-American uh, uh, comedy night. So since Dilbert was not an African-American product. So do you see a pattern yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're talking like at least three times that I, I know of where, where that kind of has come into, come into play. But hey, hey, here's the thing. If that didn't happen... We wouldn't potentially have you, right? I mean, the, and we would have never had Dilbert if this didn't have. I mean, not, and I'm not saying that. Oh, this is some kind of a justification for cancel culture or for for affirmative action or anything like that. But it does seem like the, it's kind of weird how these ad- adversities. You know, Adriana, we did a story on um, on uh, her uh, this health issue that she had, uh, and we would not have found this health issue. She had tumors in her liver. Uh, if it was not for Obamacare, which we uh, hated and we, we think was a failure uh, to, in, in many respects, but it it made her doctor drop her because her doctor wanted to basically go and, and just start a concierge doctor business, uh, you know, kind of high end, you know, give me X amount of $10,000, whatever it was uh, to, to be your doctor. And at that time, we're like, OK, well, maybe we should find another doctor. And she ended up finding another doctor. And uh, it, it turned out to be that this doctor w- looked at her all of her X-rays and found this tumor in her liver. If it wasn't for for, for Obamacare, she might be dead right yeah, now. Yeah, I would have dropped dead. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. So these kinds of things, you know, come up into life, and you and I think the people that seem to rise above it all are the ones that can kind of take it on the chin and and then and find uh, you know solutions and. You know, it's when I saw your kind of last, you know, quote unquote canceling, um, you know, over this last couple of years and uh, just uh, to see you kind of bounce back. And I'm sh- it, it seems like to me, coffee with uh, Scott Adams is as strong as it's ever been, if not stronger. Um, I, I mean, how do, how do you look at those kinds of I mean, do you use this kind of same reframing uh, kind of uh, technique to kind of deal with these adversities when they come along? 
You know what's weird is I never had a bad day during any of the cancellation. <laughs> I like how you thanked everyone that canceled you in the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was good. Uh, and I, it, did, it did inspire a burst of creativity that I didn't think I had left in me. You know, you reach a certain age, you're like, ah, I left all my good stuff behind. But I'm almost positive I've done my best work in the last year. Uh, and it's, you know, because you get that little fire. Yes. Lit, you, know, you, got, you got something to prove. Uh, but also my constraints were released. You know, I, I had created a comic that, you know, made sense in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, mm-hmm. and I couldn't do anything that wasn't uh, appropriate for a six-year-old who picked up a newspaper. You know, or seven-year-old if they could almost read. And so now I can, you know, because I'm behind the subscription wall at uh, Locals and also on the X platform, uh, I, can, I can be as funny as I want. Now, I don't do anything that's like, you know, gratuitously gross or anything. It's just that real life just has more edges than I was allowed to, you know, acknowledge. So now it's just so much fun. And I asked the other day, on the live stream, was the comic better now that it's uncensored? And it was just a wall of yeses. I mean, it was, you know, people were absolutely uh, happy about that. Well, I mean, I can, I can imagine it get better. I mean, it's already, I, I have a, uh, I pulled up a, one of your old comics, and I, I, I felt like it was one of those things that was the kind of the first uh, uh, comic, or the not only just a comic, but the first form of, uh, entertainment that tackled corporate culture in a way that I just think most didn't at that time. I thought that it was just, it was fascinating that way. And this whole meeting culture and, and the, the absurdity of it. I mean, me and Adriana have talked about that for, it's the thing that's probably kept me, you know, wanting to stay out on my own and, and, and be a, an entrepreneur is dealing with this meeting culture and this nonsense and these charts that everybody has to make that make no sense and and make and and doesn't you know affect the bottom line and what have you and um, I can only imagine that getting better with the restraints of the the guardrails removed uh, that the newspapers I'm sure I'm sure placed up uh, on you I, I want to get there's two things I want to get to before um, before we uh, I lose you. You talk about there's good artists out there and there's good communicators out there. What what do you see? We spoke to um, uh, a, a gentleman last. He's a comedian, and he said a changing point for him was was that he he thought that it was just the clever things that he said was going to make him succeed. And then what he realized was it was not what he was saying, but it was how he said it. Okay, what do you think is more important with what it is that you do? what you're saying or how you say it. You have an ability to not only um, you have a perspective and you have an art form that you that you put that perspective out there through, but you also have the ability to grab headlines. And that is a, a rare uh, commodity. It's a rare skill. What do you think uh, is sometimes, more? <laughs> sometimes I'm too good at it. <laughs> I, but, I really didn't think it would get that much attention. Um, but what? But, but the, the, question, my question is: yeah. is is what's more important? Do you think what you're saying or how you say it? Um, I'm going to answer that in the talent talent stack frame. So the talent stack, if anybody's just you know just showing, is any any talents that work well, well together. In my case, I'm a trained hypnotist, but I'm also a professional writer. 
do you have any idea how well those two work together? Yeah. <laughs> in fact, there there might not be two skills, you know, other than maybe like math and physics, right? I mean, you, you have to work a little bit to find any two that work that well together. Now, if you don't have any passing familiarity with the fields of persuasion or hypnosis, it's not really an obvious point. But when I when I talk or when I write, um, I have that filter on all the time. It's not something you go to. It's just always there. It's just the way I talk. And so I'm always thinking, how will it be processed with my understanding of how brains work, dopamine filters, uh, what business model would make somebody want to talk about it. I've studied what makes something viral, um, you know, whenever I can get any tidbits on that. I look at my own work and say, why did that one go viral and, and the other one didn't? And a lot of it goes back to saying what people are already thinking, but you, you say it better. In my case, I have a third skill. So I'm a hypnotist. I'm a professional writer, so I can put a sentence together. But I'm also a professional humorist. Humor is the, is the great um, simplifier. In fact, there's not a lot of difference between an extreme simplification and a joke. You know, in the real world, sometimes just, you know, uh, the example I used to use is, if you remember the old Marmaduke cartoon about the big dog called Marmaduke? Of course. My, friend once, my friends once described the entire uh, decades and, and the body of the cartoonist's work as, big dog is on something I want. And I laughed. I, I, I've been laughing for almost, I don't know, 15 years since I first heard it. Big dog is on something I want. I was like, <laughs> okay, that's your ultimate simplification. Or was it Mark Twain who said, uh, golf is how to ruin a good walk? <laughs> you know, like, see, you, see, you see that the difference between a joke and a simplification is just not much. It's just a little, little mm-hmm. bit of a twist. Mm-hmm. So if you put those things together, it's hard not to get noticed, right? You know, persuasion and writing and humor. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, then, gonna, then on top of that, on top of that, uh, you know, the deeper your talent stack goes, the more likely you're going to go viral. So, you know, I mentioned that I have a background in, in business, both the corporate business and, and education-wise economics. So if you see things through a business frame, you can explain things to people who don't have that frame, and they'll go, my God, that's new and innovative. For example, the first time I heard that um, the the courts were going to go after Trump because he valued something differently than it was actually valued, and the bank, you know, <laughs> and, and they thought that the bank might have been screwed by the overvaluing. I said, because I had literally been a banker and a commercial lender at one point, I said, that's how every bank works. The lender makes this ridiculous claim. The lender says, ah, I don't think your house is worth that much cash flow, ah, I think you get a third of that, you know, and, and so on and so on. So the banker's job is to not trust anything you say. And, the, and somebody like you know, Trump, somebody who's very versed in that world, would of course know that. So he just puts out his best argument. They look at it, they adjust it just like they did. Yeah. But I knew that on day one yeah. because I, I've just seen the model. So if you combine enough business models together yeah, and, you know, with those talents, it allows me just to see in the same house, but I'm looking through different windows because I can. Makes total sense. Hey, Jen, do you have any question, other questions? Before? Um, let's see. I'm wondering, because you mentioned that you haven't missed your show 
in in so many years. You've done it seven days a week for for a long time. What do your mornings look like before you do your show? Now, do you perform the same ritual every day? Because you're a creative, but you're also very disciplined, it seems like to me. So what do your mornings look like before you do the show? I love your questions. You're so good at this. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> you're getting right to the like creative core of it. Um, I, I like to get up at 4.30, which is easy for me because I'm a morning person. So that's not a sacrifice. That, that's my first choice of when I want to get up. Um, I go immediately to my coffee maker, get my coffee, give my dog her morning pill, and go upstairs and sit down. And for the next uh, at least two hours, I'm just looking at the news and often tweeting about it because when I make or posting, when I make my post, I'm organizing my thought, and I'll use that same thought or sometimes the same punchline in the show. That's you know just going to be in an hour or so. So the the social media stuff I do has two purposes: one, just normal getting attention and trying to get your view out there, and the other is it's practice for the show. Mm-hmm. And then on uh, when I see stuff I like, usually in other people's social media, I'll just do a copy paste into a set of uh, notes, and the notes will be just rough title, two bullet points to remind me what it was, and maybe maybe a paragraph of something that somebody posted or it came from a news story. And then when it gets to 6.30, I get my second cup of coffee. I use the restroom. I adjust my lighting. I print out my notes. I fire up the Locals app, scottadams.locals.com, because I go early with them. So they see me preparing, and they get to you know, ask me questions. We interact. So before and after their regular show, uh, the subscribers... I always get extra. And then when it's time to go, um, and I don't look at my notes after I've created them. So I leave I leave like 20 minutes of not looking at them. And if you've done presentations, you know what that's about, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you have to get it out of your head. Yes. And then you just have to let what happens, happens. Um, so then uh, usually I'm still yakking with the locals people in real time. The other comments are screaming and I'm interacting with them. And one of them will say, it's time, it's time. And that's when I, uh, I go to the Rumble studio on the same device that you're looking at. And I fire it up and the Rumble studio lets me go to YouTube and Rumble and X at the same time. And then it's go time and I hit play. 7 a.m. every morning and I, uh, I'm usually there at that time. It depends on what time my daughter has to go to school as to whether I'm right there at the right time or not. And when I hear your, uh, uh, what is it, a cup or a mug or a glass, a tanker, chalice or stein, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind, fill up with liquid. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I like coffee. I, I still have to read it every day. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's I, and I the, that repetition. There's something about that repetition and hearing that every morning and be you. It's it's a dopamine hit. You're like you kind of. This is how I start my morning every morning. Um, I I, the, know, I I started out doing that because I was stalling because it was a live show and I know people were coming in late. And if I you know, like get right into the good meat, then everybody's, what did he say? And then it just becomes distracting. So I thought, well, I've got to, I got to vamp for the first few minutes. <laughs> uh-huh. But I, as a hypnotist, uh, it, it was obvious to me that if I paired the thought of your delicious beverage with a, you know, a little memorable little you know, jingle, that it would be kind of sticky, and, and indeed it was. 
Yeah, big time, big time. Scott, I want to leave you with one question. Um, somebody like yourself, you've been been doing this now for God over thirty years. Um, what what is it? Do you want to be remembered by? Would you say? You know, at the end of the day, uh, when when this is all done and your work is out there and and it's you know you have a I mean I, I can imagine thousands of hours of podcasts, uh, you know, book after book, you know, thousands of comics. Um, what, what do you want people to remember you by when all is said and done? We'll be right back with RPA's Fan Boogie after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think I'm covered. No worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2 of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to RPA's Fan Boogie. Scott, I want to leave you with one question. Um, somebody like yourself, you've been, been doing this now for, God, over 30 years. Um, what, 
what is it do you want to be remembered by, would you say? You know, at the end of the day, uh, when when this is all done and your work is out there and and it's, you know, you have a, I mean, I, I can imagine thousands of hours of podcasts, uh, you know, book after book, you know, thousands of comics. Um, what, what do you want people to remember you by when all is said and done? Another amazing question. Um, believe it or not, and this has been like a long time plan, uh, I, I never actually saw myself having you know my own children. I've had several stepkids who are in my life, and I'm really happy about that. Um, but the age of AI and robotics has solidified what has long been my plan for decades and decades, which is immortality. <laughs> but immortality in a useful way. And if, if I could be specific, someday I guarantee you're going to be able to pick an AI that's me, just to give you advice. And so I've created a body of work, both video and the books I've written. You know, Reframe Your Brain is, is it's written perfectly for the AI world. It's a bunch of little reframes where if you said, hey, Give me the Scott Adams AI, because I like that better than the Jordan Peterson one. I would be like, okay, I'm done. I've done everything I wanted to do. Somebody, <laughs> somebody picked my AI, because they said, objectively speaking, I think this would be useful. And then if they could use it and, it's, and it is useful, yeah, I'm happy. That's, that's what I want to do. Uh, I want to leave this place a little bit better than I found it. That's a great, great way. Answer. That's a great answer. Great answer. Scott, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope we can have you back again sometime. And uh, you've been a great inspiration to me, and you 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 help me uh, start my day every morning. Uh, check out Coffee with Scott Adams. It's on uh, Rumble, uh, and uh, I believe it's on YouTube as well, too, if that's where you end up going. Check out his new book, uh, Reframe Your Brain, The User Interface for Happiness and Success. I promise you every, every uh, insight that you get from this man, you might not always agree with him, but he's going to give you some incredible insight and a different way to uh, kind of look at things. And it's been a, a big help in my life. Scott, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. You've got great questions. Always, <laughs> Thanks so much for coming I on. I always love that. You're so, you're so good at this. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank, thank you, Scott. You. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, that was fun. You know what? That was really, that was quite a treat. I love his mindset, I have to say. He is he ha, he has an interesting way of looking at a lot of things, and that, I love that's what I like to watch people like him and people and there's others like him. Uh, Gavin is another guy, and and there's other uh, kind of free thinkers out there on the topics. And he give, he gives a different angle on news stories and just on things on things that are happening in life in general. And there's something about that that uh, my mind craves. I don't like to hear people that just kind of regurgitate the way that I think about things. I want to be challenged on my thoughts. I want to be challenged on my kind of take on certain things. Uh, that's a, a reason why we also introduced Jimmy Dore to you guys is because he has a different takes on, on a lot of things. But I think in general, these people, their mind is in the right place. They actually want to improve America. They want to improve uh, you know, the, the lives of people here and make a positive impact on the world. And you saw that there with uh, with Scott Adams. He he. That's when we asked him that question: "What's your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for?" And that was one of the things that he said he wanted was uh, he wanted to leave a positive impact on and and leave a uh, 
leave the world a better place after he left. So I think that was a, a really good answer to that question. That was a great, great, great answer. I have to say, I started reading his book in preparation for the interview, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm only into chapter two, but so far, I, I'm really loving it, and I am actually trying a refrain myself. Yep, this is, his, once again, his book was Reframe Your Brain, uh, and it's it's definitely, I would suggest all of his books. It's, it's uh, they're, they are good. He's a good, he's almost, like a, he's a self, he's a philosopher and he's a self-help. There's a self-help aspect to him. And it's, I think it's because he, he sees the world in a unique way. Um, I, the whole talent stack thing really did change my life when I heard that concept. You I, have quite a talent stack. You know what? I, you really do. I didn't, I'm actually, I'm being serious. I didn't realize that until do. he packaged it the way that he said it. And I think what, you know, he, he also even touched on that idea of like, us wanting to hear what uh, what we are thinking, but said in a different way, that talent stack argument I thought was a very uh, you know potent thing. And the talent stack thing is really just building on the skill sets that you have that complement each other, um, so that they can help you uh, in your career and help you in life. And I'd say that you know you know the music aspect of my, my past, and then the marketing aspect of my past, and the audio engineering, and then now doing the video stuff and just building on that on this talent stack of things that you are good at that can feed off of each other. Uh, that mindset really kind of changed my life. And so I have Scott Adams to thank for that. You know, mindset is everything. If you program yourself to to see, to see the good in things or the or positivity or, you know, I love what he said about never being embarrassed. You know, he's not embarrassed. He He talks about this in the book as well. He whenever he's embarrassed, he really he looks at it as an opportunity to, to grow. And he has just such a unique way of looking at the world. I highly do recommend his book. If you guys um, get your hands on it, you will you will definitely enjoy it. I also liked that he recognized me as a creative. You know what? I thought you brought a lot to the table on that interview in that regard because... Um, because I am a creative. The, the, <laughs> well, especially <laughs> the illustration aspect of things too. Like I don't, that's not the way my mind thinks in regards to illustration and and so you you brought a lot to that interview. Let's go with our mail to the at the tail and uh, read some uh, mail from our fan bam. So um, let's see. What do we got today? We got some. Let's see. Jonathan Jonathan W uh, wrote us about fan boogie Gavin. He said uh, th- that was the last uh, fan boogie seven. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to let you know, you all know, I'm digging the new Fan Boogie podcast. It's very insightful and entertaining, and surprisingly personable. In other words, it makes us listeners and subscribers feel more like we're all part of the RPA family, not just a bunch of nameless and/or faceless pawns paying you money for a service. Hopefully, that makes sense. Uh, it does. Thank you for saying that, uh, Jonathan. Anyway, love the podcast and love the direction your content uh, has taken RPA so far in early two- 2024. This kind of content and storytelling will help define this incredibly important year as we the people move into uncharted and potentially dangerous territory with the looming election uh, and by the way patrick i could help i could not couldn't help notice but notice that during your uh, conversation with gavin on the latest fan boogie after he mentioned records and his turntable you mentioned having records sitting on a shelf behind you i do have all my records are literally behind this curtain right here um uh, let's see. I didn't know you were into vi- a vinyl guy. I love it. I'm a longtime record collector myself and have been pretty much my entire life. I'm 46. And when I was a kid in the 1980s, records were still a 
was still king, of course, by the time I got to junior high and high school. In the early 90s, CDs had all but taken over. While I definitely started uh, buying CDs in the 1990s, I never stopped buying and collecting vinyl records, and eventually I started selling new and used records as a side hustle. Anyway, I've always preferred vinyl as my format of choice, and I always will. Hope you both have a fantastic week. Um, thanks for that, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. I love vinyl, uh, and I used to DJ. I used to, when I was, uh, used to throw events and, and concerts back in the day, uh, instead of having to pay uh, for an opening DJ, I was the opening DJ a lot of the time. And uh, I fell in love with it. And um, yeah, I, and, I, and I really, what, what Gavin said in Fan Boogie 7 about the reason why Vice kind of falling was because they didn't have a guy that really cared about the culture and tying it to the fact that they didn't have records. That really resonated with me uh, because I understand, like I said, I, I have magazines. And by the way, I have a bunch of Vice magazines as well too in my storage, wrapped up in plastic and saved perfectly uh, because there is something to uh, keeping an archive and to keeping a, a record of culture that uh, is just inbred in me. And I think that's part of the reason why Vice failed is because they didn't have that. You know, I used to DJ as well. Uh, yeah, you did. DJ Shiny Zapatos. You did. DJ Shiny Zapatos. I remember DJ that. DJ Shiny Shoes. We created yeah. um, We created a I a also CD did it for, at a couple of our events, by the way, when we didn't have an opener. I'd, I got up there on the ones and twos. <laughs> so DJ Shiny Shoes. Let's uh, let's see. What are some other I want to get to? Some what else other do we got? Comments. See. We got a complaint recently via, um, I don't know if it was email or if it was on the backstage. Yeah, uh, here on it the is. Website. Yeah, okay, it's from it James T. Mm -hmm. uh, I've enjoyed your content over the years and have become a subscriber. I appreciate the work that you're doing, and I'm proud to spread the word about your content. On occasion, you guys have shared your faith, which I think is fantastic and adds to the reason why I subscribed. However, if you are truly believers in Christ, then you should know that we are called to become more like Christ every day and to challenge fellow believers if we be, if we feel they are missing the mark. This is mainly around your language. I hope you don't take this as an attack, but as a reminder to be more like the light in a dark world. Thank, I love you guys. Um, I understand that position, uh, James, and um, I am trying to be better about my language. At Sometimes, you know, you kind of like form it to the people that you're speaking to. And, you know, when we're talking to Gavin, Gavin is not somebody who is a, you know, a Catholic and, and pretty openly a Catholic and, and uh, you know, speaks of the, the positives of the Catholic community on his show often. But the guy also uh, cusses a lot and, and, uh, and, you know, partakes in some stuff that, you know, that uh, wouldn't necessarily be portrayed, I think, as Christian activity or Catholic activity. And I and I try to get better about my language, um, but at the same time, I also want to be real with you guys. And I feel like you know, being real is uh, is 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 an important thing for me to convey who I really am to the public and to the to our our fan bam. And also, I think that a lot of times people hide behind some of these, uh, you know, these kinds of Christian ethos and. Uh, and take advantage of their audience by putting up a fake front. A perfect example, and I and I when I responded to you, I, I kind of referenced this. I might not have gotten into much detail on it, but Tim Ballard, uh, I don't think I've ever heard him uh, swear. I've never heard him curse. Hmm. 
uh, and he is very well regarded. He's regarded as a saint uh, amongst Christians. And the guy is anything but that. He's far from it. Uh, in addition to all of these uh, kind of lawsuits that he has uh, coming out against him in regards to uh, alleged sexual misconduct, he has another lawsuit that just uh, was announced over this course of the last week. And we had predicted this lawsuit that was going to be coming out uh, where the he uh, in, in the movie Sound of Freedom, they portrayed uh, Miss Cartagena. Uh, as uh, somebody that was, uh, you know, they portrayed this character, Kelly Johanna Suarez Moya, as a um, uh, trafficker. Sex trafficker. As a child, a child sex trafficker. Never convicted of that. Released after about a year and a half. Uh, no no uh, charges have ever been brought. She's never been convicted of child sex trafficking. Um, and they put this in the movie and on their promotional material that this person was a child sex trafficker. Well, we predicted that both Angel Studios and Tim Ballard would be sued over this. And sure enough, that woman, that Colombian poor woman, uh, is suing uh, both uh, Tim and uh, Angel Studios. And the Harmon Brothers. And the, and the Harmon Brothers. I think it's going to show a lot about that case is the case that I would be watching. The, the the alleged misconduct, uh, the sexual misconduct and sexual assault cases are all obviously also important, and it goes to the character if they turn out to to have some real proof uh, against Tim Ballard. But the the case with Kelly Johanna Suarez, uh, that case, I think, is even more important because it, it's going to show his modus operandi. Mm-hmm. And it's going to show that, you know, they're trying to, to combat it with video clips that they're putting out there that clearly show that they were the ones that were creating demand for child sex trafficking in these countries. And they don't even realize that they're doing it. Maybe they realize that they're doing it, but the news is so bad coming from this uh, this potential case that they're trying to put anything out there they can uh, combat to it. So point being here is this. I understand your point. I'm going to try to get better about my language, but I can only be who I am. And uh, I, I feel like I owe you guys the truth of who I am. And I'm not somebody that around my house that speaks like, you know, um, with the cleanest mouth. And um, I don't think that that necessarily if, if, if we were to judge people just purely on that and you were to look at a guy like Tim Ballard, um, you would see that uh, a lot of times people put up a front. And um, and we do we we pull back a lot on the language we because do. it is also it also makes it difficult because we're talking to each other you know we're sitting here in in basically the studio together um, as a husband and wife who interact with each other all day long all every day mm-hmm. and uh, we regularly cuss yeah so when we're here talking to one another we are pulling back quite a bit but you know we we do cuss and. We're, I think we do a pretty good job, actually. We try and we try to put out... Considering what we really talk we like try to put out out censored, off camera. We try to put out censored versions as well, too. And I do feel like when you... And this is something that I maybe... Uh, I will try to improve on is that when you're a business owner and you've been at war several times, I mean, at one point we were even attacked by the White House, you know, in our first kind of story coming out as, as uh, you know, on the right... Um, you get in these wars, and uh, as a business owner, the language kind of you're in war mode, and um, sometimes you, you know you 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 it's hard to shake that war mode. And we've talked about that before when we were even doing this Tim Ballard story. You know, we're going to try to to not uh, you know 
put that energy out there as much as we possibly can. But it's hard to shake when you're in business, and a lot of times you're putting up stories that that put you in kind of a a battle mode. Um, but we will try to get better about that, James. Um, let's see, what else do we got here? Uh, I think that's probably good. No, yeah, I think that is good. Let's, I think we should go to our parting shot. That, let's go with our parting shot. Uh, uh, and we're going to be wrapping up this episode of Fan Boogie. So uh, we have, we, this is a, a, something we do every um, episode, and I, I kind of toyed on which one to, to do here, but I think this is the right one to, uh, <clears throat> to close out with. Uh, I want you guys to enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you so much for being here with us. If you want to become a part of the fam bam, go to redpilledamerica.com, click join the top menu. Please join us. We need you. We need you here uh, to, be, uh, to, to build a healthy community um, and we need to build an alternative to Hollywood. As you see, they're constantly putting out these woke messages. They're indoctrinating our kids. And the only way to kind of fight back against it is to create content that uh, has our values imbued in them. Support what you love, guys, or it goes away. 100%. That is a very, very true saying. And so if you if you love the show and you love the content that we're putting out, then please support it. With that, uh, thank you guys for helping us save America one story at a time. And uh, we will leave you with this. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. What's wrong? Daddy, 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 daddy. What? Daddy, 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 daddy. He what? He <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Daddy! <laughs> Bye, guys. Until next Bye, time. Bye, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Oh, oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.